Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Shimona, your host on India Booked, a podcast where we look at India through the voice and eyes of its literature. Today, I have with me Vikram Sampath, who is authored four books. Before I give you a bio of Vikram, let me tell you, assembling this biography has not been easy. Uh, not only is a not only like Vikram an accomplished historian and an author, he also does a fabulous job at the archive of Indian music. He writes for a bunch of publications. I have read bios of him which convey that he also has a day job. He lives out of Bangalore. He studied at Bithpilani. I'm yet uh, uh, to meet someone who sort of juggles so many hats and makes it look so effortless. So Vikram, uh, welcome to the show and, and really please tell us yourself what all is it that you do. <laughs> thank you Ayushi, thank you so much uh, for that very kind uh, introduction. I uh, thankfully don't have a day job anymore and I'm a full-time writer. So that's one thing knocked off from the many bios that you managed to read. But uh, yes, it's it's just been, I think, a series of um, you know serendipitous uh, occasions where I've just gone with the flow from my engineering and finance and corporate days to working with the government of India and then finally you know, actually pursuing what I really love, which is history uh, and writing history and alongside also pursuing my uh, passion in uh, classical music, which I don't, of course, pursue as a, uh, you know, practicing musician anymore, uh, other than just singing for myself and my near India ones, but uh, translating that into the whole idea of creating a national sound archive for India for particularly vintage recordings of this country. In between, yes, juggle also with uh, curating festivals, culture festivals and literature festivals and so on. So variety, as they say, is the spice of life and too too much of monochromatic uh, uh, life makes it very boring for me. So I do need this variety <laughs> to keep uh, myself alive. <laughs> I think that that's great for us because thanks to, you know, your multifaceted interests, we've got to uh, read and learn about, you know, some of these things that you're fascinated by. I I want to start with your book on Gohar Jan, Life and Times of a Musician. Um, This is a book that, you know, to begin with, just to give context to listeners, right? It's a book uh, that you were awarded for. I think you got the Yuva Puraskar for it. Uh, it's apparently the film rights for it have been say, purchased by Ashutosh Gavarikar. It's been adapted um, on theatre uh, by Lilet Dubey. So there are multiple cultural sort of, uh, you know, uh, reproductions of this own discovery of Gohajan and uh, fascination for writing a book about her really. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned earlier, serendipity, I think that's what rules my life and also particularly my literary career and it was very very it was a happy accident where I found uh, you know mention of Gaharjan when I was researching for my first book uh, Splendors of Royal Mysore on the history of the royal family of Mysore and there there was this small little file that spoke about the visiting musicians who came to Mysore and Mysore was a hub of culture uh, the Maharaja was so cosmopolitan that not only you know, Carnatic musicians, but, you know, Hindustani and Western musicians were also invited to the court. They were 
uh, encouraged to uh, collaborate with each other and come up with uh, joint pieces and so on and so forth so in that whole milieu of you know melting pot that mysore had become of culture uh, there was this little mention of this lady uh, from distant calcutta who had come here and the file said she was the first gramophone celebrity of india uh, somebody who had a very fantastic lineage of an armenian christian anglo indian Uh, sort of parentage and data converts to islam and becomes a tawaif so they were probably just about a couple of lines uh, you know of her uh, life story and the 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 files that were there the letters you know they were pleading while on the one hand the bio data said uh, you know very glowingly that the, she was the first gramophone celebrity of india uh, and highly respected and celebrated in her time the letters that she wrote to the maharaja's government seemed to convey a completely different picture that of her aging diva in the last phases of her life who was literally pleading the king uh, the maharaja and his government that uh, you know please don't cut my income tax increase my salary uh, you know it, it, and very in the typical official babudam the there was like rejected rejected put across these uh, <laughs> these requests that she made and then suddenly she died uh, i mean two years hmm. is all she spent in mysore from 1928 to 1930 and uh, there was not even any mention of the cause of death and even after her death there were lots of papers in the files which showed how she owed so much money to some baker and confectioner and some medicine shop and all of that and all of these people were um, getting to the maharaja's government asking for repayment of arrears so i thought i don't know it was just an instinctive and an impulsive uh, you know uh, thing for me and that's what usually works with me anything i take upon an impulse always works that i said this lady's story is something that is dying to be told and i had no clue at that time sitting in that archive in mysore as to how to set go about this whole journey because here was a tawaif a courtesan who died way back in 1930 with no legal heirs with no students nothing known and i had just stumbled upon her and then to trace her back from the place of her death to reconstruct the story of her life was literally like looking for a needle in a haystack and that's exactly what happened over hmm. three to four years you know that i followed up with um, i literally chased her across the length and breadth of india from azamgarh where she was born to banaras rampur darbhanga calcutta where she lived for most of her life and came to be known as gohardjan of calcutta bombay hmm. where she found love interest madras uh, mysore where she died and also outside india i, I tried to you know look for clues about her in berlin in london and so on so it was literally like putting together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle um, and that's how the rubric of her life came together in this book and somebody who was india's the subcontinents rather the subcontinents first uh, commercially recorded artist commercially recorded woman in 1902 someone who cut 600 records in her lifetime in almost 15 languages someone who was the literal the original page 3 diva of her times the the rock star uh, kind of a lifestyle hedonistic lifestyle that she led for someone who had so many achievements mm-hmm. to her credit uh, she literally was forgotten and you know walked the alleys of hindustani music like a barely discernible ghost and so to resurrect her hmm. was like something that was really very rewarding and uh, all the accolades that you mentioned i think they they came because of that because here was a story which i really think was very uh, providential it was just waiting to be told it was dying to be told and i was just chosen as a medium to tell that story of hers
I I think that's such a fascinating account, you know. Uh, so before this, Vikram, I I've interviewed two authors on my podcast, and both of them uh, wrote about, uh, you know, one one was definitely a biography. I'm not giving into details because I, that episode is not released yet. And the second was on Akbar, and and I asked both these gentlemen about. you know why this particular figure or this moment of time in history and you know so on and so forth and they said that you know and their interest was very much from the point of view of themselves being obsessed or ardent fans if i can even i can call them ardent fans but but the point was that they were devoted to the figure and 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 it's so much more interesting perhaps um to also look at now this other lens which i'm hearing from you which is to talk about someone who you you know is it, just a glimpse and and then you take an interest and sort of build upon it for me when i was reading the book right uh, of course everything that you mentioned right uh, from her lifestyle to the fact that you know that she dabbled into this world of music and the notch world and you know her relationship with her mother malka jaan and all of these things right and the uh, just the music scene of that time right which i had no inkling of right and her talim all of that two things stood out for me i think the uh, the lens right with which woman is is not voyeuristic it's not um racy if i can use that word uh, it, it's very much for the love of music i think perhaps some of it comes from the fact that you yourself love music and hence you look at her as an artist first and as a be you know a personality or a diva later and and you know so i think for me that that's the first thing that really stood out and the second thing that stood out for me right is that in the process of really unearthing these characters and and as serendipitously as you mentioned them you come across such a bevy of information surrounding the the person as, as well right so not the only i just learn about gohar jaan i learned about a certain evolution of hindustani classical music or gharanas or or gramophones right it's not something that you we speak or think much of so what is that like for you right when you sort of go into this journey of finding that needle in that haystack you're collecting not just her story but you're collecting so much so many stories and so many point of views and so much data how do you grapple with it and and i think that's a as a historian i think that applies to everything you write of course but i'm just very fascinated in this particular case yeah no that's a fascinating question uh, ayushi and i've often said you know in several of my talks and interviews that i for me uh, a biography is very similar to uh, you know falling in love <laughs> and you know you uh, you take up a subject uh, only because uh, at the, the 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 very first instant there is that uh, there is that spark there is that interest in the subject and that is why you decide as uh, a writer to to actually invest your time your emotions your money your efforts all of that into pursuing this uh, subject and quite like it happens in a love affair and it's a very weird kind of a love affair where your uh, you know love interest is in a relatively unwoable and uh, you know position either they are dead or they are probably in a stage in life where you can't really woo them so uh, but then still you pursue and in the course just like it happens in a love affair you pursue your subject talk them everywhere you gather every little information about them their letters their enemies become your enemies their friends become your friends 
all of that happens and sometimes like it happens in an affair midway there can be disillusionment you may feel that this subject is simply not worth the initial interest that i had in him or her and the uh, uh, affair might just drop off but then if one continues and goes on then it carries on uh, and then of course the most difficult part of a biography writing is the final one where you know after having invested so much uh, you know of yourself into it uh, you need to become make this very dispassionate you know stand almost like a bystander a third party when you're committing it to print uh, and uh, you know otherwise there's a very thin line between a biography and a hagiography and so hmm. you will then have to not uh, you 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 don't have to just be an advocate a lawyer for your subject but also bring the warts and all and all the failings that this person might have had as a human being which they are bound to have if they were human enough so that particular part is very important when one cuts off these emotional cords with the subject and doesn't make it an extolling hagiographical account of the person and equally important uh, like you Uh, you know mentioned very uh, beautifully the 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 picture that one gets to paint of the era in which they lived so for me biography is not just the story of the person and it's not a cliched subtitle that most biographies have including mine the life and times uh, you know when you say the life and times most people forget the times uh, without you know concentrating only a linear chronological narrative of the life of the person so the times are equally important where uh, it's the period in which they lived which contributed uh, to their life it affected their life they were the product of the circumstances in which they lived so all of that also gets painted in the process and so for me uh, it's historical writing but seen through the eyes of an individual but it's not just that individual story it's also a, a painting of the times uh, the, the social cultural political happenings that were going on which influenced my subject in some way and in turn my subject influenced the times in some way so it's a reciprocal kind of a you know process but i think you know this like in the case of gohar like you rightly mentioned the whole era of hindustani music how it changed towards the uh, turn of the 20th century uh, the arrival of recording technology a new technology that came in from europe the gramophone technology and very importantly for me a huge discovery too that you know the role of women uh, you know in uh, adapting to this technology and across india uh, gohar was of course the first but across india it was uh, almost for the first two decades of recording it was women like her who belonged to the tawaif and the devdasi community in south india who uh, took hmm. to recording and became superstars and it also br- brought to fore this whole campaign of vilification against these women who were finally uh, you know abolished from the performance space uh, and branded as mere prostitutes and uh, the anti notch campaign that was launched and one of the reasons why you know their music probably lies scattered in fifly markets and chor bazaars and all that across india but their life stories have been willfully consigned to the dustbins of history uh, and from purged literally from national as well as musical consciousness of this country uh, music had to be purified music had to be made accessible to middle class respected uh, households so uh, these debased women had to be uh, literally you know uh, excised from the musical performance space so all of this also comes together in a story uh, such as this uh, which i think is very important and we cannot understand gohar's life its turbulence its turmoil its highs the joys all of that unless one looks at the context in such as this in which she lived and 
circumventing these challenges still went on and became what she became achieved what she achieved so many times i also say that you know with every biography i feel a biographer dies multiple deaths because uh, he or she if they've taken to the task you know with all earnestness and sincerity i think they live an entire life uh, you know the highs and lows the joys and sorrows of their subject and with them a part of you also dies somewhere and it takes a lot of effort to come out of that you know obsession that you have with the person uh, they literally haunt you all the time if you're very involved <laughs> like it did for me and then you know you you it you literally have to again break that emotional cord and move on to the next love interest so yeah promiscuity is the only uh, antidote for a biographer i would say i think this is such a fascinating analogy you know and and i think to everyone listening to the podcast as well uh, please do check out the book because there are so many interesting inflection points and of course for i mean no, not giving away spoilers or taking away from anyone's reading experience how does you know a christian woman end up with a muslim name how does she after living this very uh, die in in a, in a poor and an absolute sh- shambles right so, so that's something that i think i, I want to just reiterate to people listening to the book. but vikram to this whole in, this analogy right of of a biographer sort of and i think towards the end right you mentioned there's this whole aspect of moving on and dealing and and much like i think like a relationship or a love affair once it's sort of done and dusted with you always wonder what it really was like and and then you have to deal with how you see the person now speaking objectively versus how you dealt with them when you were treating them as this one obsessive uh, po- point around which your life evolved so kudos you've done it multiple times <laughs> yeah the, as i said promiscuity is the only antidote <laughs> to the obsessions of a biographer <laughs> we are voyeuristic yeah. uh, ayushi i think that's uh, that without that sense of voyeurism to get into the skin of your character i don't think you could do justice to particularly the research <laughs> yeah and and of course i think it's so important right it's a matter of urgency i would almost say to reach out to these maligned and forgotten and misunderstood characters because you know because we unfortunately i think we live in in, in this world where we have three films like releasing on bhagat singh on the same day right and and then there are these millions of stories which are absolutely fascinating but unfortunately they're either like extremely geographically polarized so for instance if there is somebody like a krishna dev raya right great king but you won't hear about him as much as say mughal so you won't you won't be taught that right in your cbse book or i mean i for one and, and i think just sort of jumping into your book on savarkar and again it, it also has a very interesting uh, subtitle echoes of the past much like life in time right i savarkar and i'm sure most people do not till very recently i was not taught about savarkar in any of my book and uh, and it wasn't something that i grew up reading about to me largely in terms of education right and for most of us we study history in school and then neither in the in say bazaar history of what we read right nor in in our formal education and and nor in the in our cinema or in in our stories uh, or what we see on screen did we really hear of savarkar till of course and i think you've spoken multiple times about how manish shankar ayer led you to this moment of serendipity 
रैबिड discussions no that's very very true and pertinent what the, the point you raised and somebody uh, you know like you mentioned it was the whole fracas uh, that was created by manishankar ayer and then of course the whole you know the, the savarkar's portrait being unveiled in the central hall of parliament by uh, vajpayee's government that led to protests that led me also to you know actually get deeper into who this man uh, really was i have half a maharashtrian lineage and so from my mother's side i did know that there was somebody like this but uh, honestly like you mentioned even i had not read about him in my cbse uh, history textbooks nor was was he ever a, a point of uh, discussion or consideration uh, till then it was only after all of this debate that came about that he he slowly in Uh, steadily started uh, i think intruding contemporary political discourse and right now i think sits very very polarizingly right in the middle of any contemporary political uh, you know talk that happens uh, on in election rallies he's invoked and in the last maharashtra elections last year you had the bjp going hammer and tongs saying they're going to give bharat ratna to him if you know they elected the bar and so so somebody who died in 1966 uh, you know for him to actually intrude today's political discourse i i found it very very incredible but at the same time you know as a historian when i went back and saw what is it what was what was the academic output what is the intellectual output about savarkar that people have and if a young man or woman today wants to go and read about him and understand what is all this halabalu uh, about him uh, all about the, you know the very the last biography that was written on him was when he was alive and somewhere in the 60s by this uh, gentleman called dhananjay keer and since hmm. then uh, till now till 2019 when my book came out i I'm, i'm quite amazed that there's been there's been a singular lack of academic interest in the man who uh, causes so much of polarization who bring who uh, you know causes so much of uh, extreme reactions on all sides his lovers and haters uh, but then nobody really bothered to investigate what what is it about this person that you hate or you love uh, including his proponents i don't think they uh, dedicated any time to understanding him or his thoughts and his writings and he was a copious writer because uh, thousands and thousands of pages that he wrote uh, of his own life of his thoughts his views he was a political ideologue he was a poet a journalist a political commentator a playwright so several multifaceted um, that uh, you know adjective fits him uh, the most and but to read all of that to understand that and also a political ideologue who popularized the whole concept of hindutva and what it means today in uh, india today and its political climate uh, i thought i thought it was very much essential to to trace those roots uh, even as people mill you know adore hindutva or hate it or whatever they may they may that's an individual's choice but to understand where did this all come from what was the context in which it came why did it come who brought it up i thought i thought that was very important uh, and it's uh, very very fascinating and quite alarming for me at the same time that uh, uh, 
um, historians had not gotten down to this task other than highly propaganda driven books which either vilified him to the extreme or eulogized him to the extreme uh, there was really very little research based uh, you know work on him so yeah like i always say my characters come choosing me so particularly those who are maligned misunderstood and forgotten savarkar also came knocking and uh, i did dedicate uh, i mean it's a work in progress so present continuous tense but uh, in the la- for the first volume at least again about 3 4 years which meant looking through tons and tons and tons of himalayan tons of paper uh, work uh, around him Uh, in archives in india and also outside india in the british library in the national archives of uk in france in germany and within india national archives of india the nehru memorial where there is an entire set of savarkar private papers you know and no, nobody has really accessed these ever and that's again very um, very very uh, you know intriguing for me and lots and lots of you know work in marathi many mm. of it he has written himself uh, others have written on him which uh, you know mainstream historians have happily neglected uh, either willfully or because of their lack of knowledge of uh, the language and since i i do understand marathi so it was an added uh, advantage and with help uh, from friends who translated and so on so and alongside you know interviews with people uh, his family his opponents everybody so it was literally again bringing together a very holistic picture of this man his his contribution to the uh, whole uh, you know uh, idea of liberation of india and his failings his achievements all of that and in fact unlike goharjan where i was looking for the uh, proverbial needle in the haystack here there was a problem of plenty so there was i i think more than a uh, even now in my personal collection uh, i must have more than a, a lack of pages related to him which i have gathered from several places to so to read all of that understand it distill and build uh, you know a narrative that is interesting and inspiring and also exciting for a reader who's not mm-hmm. necessarily uh, you know all every reader need not be necessarily ideologically uh, inclined or whatever so a general yeah. story a fascinating story of a enigmatic character that uh, was the challenge and it continues to as i say continues to be a challenge as i scurry through volume 2 and hope that uh, it comes out by the middle of next year i had hoped that it comes out this year uh, by the end of this year but thanks to covid and lockdown and the inability to travel for research without which books like this cannot just come out it's just impeded the whole timelines and process but uh, but yeah it's it's left me deeply again you know impacted in a different way his life and his story that uh, uh like in goharjan's case the times here you know it's also been the stories of so many other uh, you know fascinating men and women uh and i wonder why these uh, stories were always hidden from us why uh, the story of india's freedom struggle has been presented in this very simplistic and a very linear a very monochromatic way to us in our textbooks why where are those alternative narratives where are those Uh, suppressed stories and that's why the subtitle i thought needs to be echoes because uh, these are so distant and so suppressed in some distant forgotten past that uh, they just come back to us only as echoes and a historian can only reconstruct them to that extent uh, alone and not 
entirely as it were considering there's been so much of willful you know whitewashing that's happened over the decades absolutely and i think um, you know there is a tendency for us to write obviously either portray or continue to talk about people and how where you know we see clean lines or where you know it's easy to present them in in a particular light and just portray them in a particular manner i uh, for instance would feel more comfortable talking about somebody right who um, is not uh, a, who does not confuse me because now here is this man who's presented in this whole conversation around hindutva in in a particular light uh, tying it back to several aspects right whether it's being called you know a colonial stooge or whether it is the fact that he himself is an atheist and he and writes against a lot of hindu belief now it's difficult for somebody and and for any for someone to i think reconcile the idea of multitudes and i'm sort of trying to assemble this in my head as i speak to you vikram as well is that that is very difficult for us to imagine people with multitudes right life would be so much simpler if this one man uh, who is say a proponent of a certain ideology also uh, ticks the check boxes for everything else that's spoken about in that ideology but but this man is very much individualistic and and while he's a revolutionary he's also an atheist very very driven by a certain rationalist school of thought which again in the whole indian scheme of things is, is very difficult like how do you have a hero who refuses to believe in a god or a hero who says that the cow is just a docile utilitarian animal or uh, or someone who thinks that it's okay to you know get out of the british jail even if it means apologizing to them perhaps i don't know and just get out of here so that you can actually go out and and work on liberating yourself now these are there are of course certain ideals that we you know being just it's always thrust upon us that oh things have to be in a particular light and when some character is has multitudes right and has so many nuances it's so much more difficult to understand them and then and then obviously people pick parts of their personality or what they said publicly uh, or wrote publicly and then uh, in retrospect just fit it into the narrative that they are trying to proclaim very little to do with the man himself and i think of course and i think this has been widely spoken but for me as well i found the book very rational and not really and 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 again right if you have a, a lack pages uh, and you're actually visiting and meeting people and reading then it's it's fair for you to portray these things it's surprising when people who know next to nothing about the man and, and no passing mentions of him through history decide to sort of become custodians of how that man is portrayed right and and th- that is i think where the problem begins forgotten characters and remembered characters in history the next set of people to sort of know about them are people who know them from people who don't really have an authoritarian understanding of that character in the first place i don't know if i have like sort of blabbered a bit but i think essentially i think what i'm just trying to say is that as readers perhaps and as audiences in general we should question a lot more and question how even if somebody has 20 million followers on twitter does not make them the arbitrary authority on specially historical figures because history is anyway so fluid 
Correct. No, it's so beautifully put. It was not a blabber at all. I think you hit the nail on the head. And this is a, Ayushi, this is a diurnal trouble I face. And I'm, 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 I've just given up these days because as late as probably yesterday on Twitter, there was some fight that was going on about the same thing. And, and you know, you just get bored to death because I've written an entire book of 600, 700 pages of explaining everything. And then someone says, oh, but he wrote mercy petitions and, and then pulls up one line from that and says, oh, but you know, he said, I'm your most obedient servant or something. So see, he was actually uh, posing up to the British, not realizing that that's probably the way the language of the times was written to a colonial master. Even Gandhi's letters would have similar kind of uh, address or you know letter endings and that doesn't mean that Gandhi was the British stooge or whatever so these type of uh, like you mentioned nuances which is what is very important when one studies the past uh, the past by its very nature is not not present now and so whatever of it reveals itself uh, one just gets to reconstruct it and so to 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 get so absolutist about it is a problem and in today's time of pol- polarities and lack of nuance where we are back to that bushism of you know if you're um, you're not with us you're against us people also want very clear binaries of yes or no yes or no this uh, the way the television news these days comes within a few seconds that you're given to talk, you have to take a stand, you have to say yes or no, you can't, it can't be a maybe, it can't be not 50 shades, but several shades of gray, but it has to be black and white and people, their positions, their ideologies have to be boxed into these very strict, you know, pigeonholes of black and white, whereas real human beings are not like that. And particularly, uh, human beings like this, uh, who, as you rightly mentioned, with uh, so, with multitudinal uh, kind of shades to their character and their philosophy. Someone who reads about them also needs to appreciate that fact and say, yeah, you know, they took contradictory positions on many things and that's how the person is. Uh, instead, today, our attention span is less. In 140 characters, people want to surmise on history, uh, lack of nuance, uh, complete polarization. In all of this, I think history becomes a casualty and we want very quick, quick fix, fast food kind of answers, though minute Maggie, which is not possible. And of course, it's it's nice to indulge in such uh, uh, diatribes on social media, on Twitter. So like I mentioned just yesterday, there was some eminent journalist and a very another very famous, uh, you know, um, businessman they were fighting and I got dragged in it where they said uh, you know please explain Savarkar uh, <laughs> and the other one was no and so I said look there is absolutely no point I have said this ad infinitium I've written an entire book I've given multiple talks I've written several articles so please read it because stand upside down on my head and try to explain but if somebody's uh, thought process has been so opaque you're so biased you've made up your mind one way or the other, uh, for or against him, there's nothing on earth that facts can shatter and change <laughs> that opinion. So uh, it's a it's futile. It's a waste of your time to kind of convince everybody, and it's really not necessary to convince anyone. And so uh, I also keep saying each and every time, like I'm really not here as an advocate of Savarkar and you know to whitewash or. Uh, be an apologist for him to take on this huge mantle of you know undoing the historical wrongs that was done to him or any such thing i'm just bringing facts mm-hmm. and figures and documents out and it's up to the discerning public the readers to make up their mind now after reading all this after seeing the appendices after reading those petitions after reading about hindutva somebody still thinks he's a villain he's a stooge he's a coward he's a traitor he's whatever they have most 
willing them the most you know free to do what they want to do and i'm not here to convert anyone to a, becoming a savarkar bhakt or whatever so but then the <laughs> the openness to be able to read so love or hate the man but please do so after reading about him uh, don't be so closed as to make an opinion without even being amenable to facts without even keeping the windows of your mind open to documents and archival papers that are screaming their head off uh, you know uh, waiting to be read and told and when someone has distilled it and brought those 1 lakh plus papers into a cogent readable form uh, please do me the favor of at least just reading it and then making up your mind so i had actually never thought of this writer's dilemma of you know suddenly by virtue of being you know the sort of almost the only authoritative voice accessible in public and popular literature now you suddenly have to be dragged in every debate because hey this guy has written a book he'll tell us the right answer because i am too lazy to read it myself i tell you i mean you know suddenly traveling at switch, uh, in in the middle uh, switch on the phone after getting out of the aircraft and i have these tons of missed calls from uh, this news channel and that news channel and then i realized oh my god has savarkar again come in the news today has someone made any comments and it would be that you know rahul gandhi would have said something against him modi would have gone to cellular jail to pay obeisances or some other thing would have happened and all these news channels say oh savarkar so there's one bakra you catch him and he will you know uh, tell the whole history add and finish him and there'll be another somebody who will say the same things stooge cover traitor and from channel to channel like a traveling salesman you really need to go and same story <laughs> like you know what i will just record this whole thing on youtube or a podcast like this just play it in my absence because just don't bother me <laughs> anymore every time this comes up should he be given bharat ratna or not i mean that's a prerogative of the prime minister of india i'm nobody to arbit uh, like you said i think along with the other problem that writers today face i always wonder writers today are have become more performers than writers because the whole cult of literature festivals to which i am also guilty having started one in bangalore myself uh, has made writing a performance you know in that one hour that you sit on stage and hold fort you're supposed to entertain um, inspire your audience and there are parallel sessions so if you are boring and dull uh, they'll always uh, slide away to some other parallel session so to hold their attention you need to don the hat of a, a great actor orator all of that which a writer need not be very good at i mean uh, writers by nature at least i am a very introvert very to not enjoy uh, you know standing under the headlights uh, so it's difficult for us to sit there and pontificate like this so i wonder we as kids we've all read so much of rk narayan particularly you know in indian english writing but we've seen so little of him Uh, if there's a photograph of Arkin Arayan, I don't know how many of us would recognize who he is. Read all of it, Malgudi Days and Mr. Sampath and all kinds of things that he's read, written, the fascinating books. But we would not know or identify him as a person. And he was not the one who would jump on stage and talk for hours about how he wrote, what he wrote, etc. But the converse mm-hmm. has become true now, where writers have fantastic Instagram accounts. They're all over the place. You know everything about the author's life, personal life, everything. What books are coming up next? But I don't even know how much of that translates to actual reading. Uh, how many of these people who flock to a session of an author actually buy the book and actually read it also? I doubt it. So this is a conundrum which uh, I don't know. So in addition to this trouble that authors face. the problem if you take up contentious political figures is you also get drawn into contemporary 
political you know uh, debates and skirmishes in which uh, someone like me might just not have any interest i mean uh, whether it's the bjp or the congress or the left parties i wouldn't care any less for any of them and so uh, to be drawn as spokesperson for one or the other and then defend your protagonist and talk for or against this just is it becomes a collateral damage that you face uh, for all the hard work that you have put <laughs> you know in resurrecting that person's life i actually have so many things to say about what you just said i just realized that i did not mention bangalore literature festival in your uh, very very tiny bio <laughs> despite joking that your bio is extensive uh, i also realized right that uh, that reading has become as performative as writing i mean i, I run a book community with over 5000 people i i do understand and because it's so much about it's as much about book ramming as it is about reading but again uh, taking away from what how much is read and and how much is understood and what is bought right all of these are such difficult questions and and hence uh, you know it, it genuinely is difficult to be a writer in 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 this age and day um, and 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 i do also want to and since you mentioned arkin and i and right like say i mean in arkinarayan and the rajagopalachari both had versions of mahabharata i've read both now if they were to write that in today's day and age i mean say take a seed rajagopalachari right it would become like a very contentious issue of discussion right it would get led with religion versus mythology versus conversations and trolling and all of that right i think they were lucky to have just lived in a time when they didn't have to face it uh, I, i mean even author like ruskin bond right who's literally the poster a uh, boy poster man for simple r- reading simple living in the hills has has a very very active instagram account i'm sure that's managed by the publishing house but but it's become so performative and i, I find it so funny when i see ruskin bond's instagram account with was emojis and things like that i'm like mr bond do 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 you know they're doing this to you <laughs> <laughs> i agree oh god yes <laughs> but uh, but really uh, vikram i i don't want to harp too much about your book with savarkar i think there are dozens and dozens of youtube videos and articles somebody should really go and and uh, read the book themselves as well as the second part that comes out next year because as i think we've discussed it right it's very it's real of a very fascinating character from history in general so i think that i think the last piece right is is your obvious obsession with music and interest in music and and i think while i started speaking about how you know i i got introduced to you via a uh, the whole aspect that i wanted to discuss mysore and royal splendors and splendors of royal mysore i'm sorry between splendors of royal mysore right um, which you i think wrote very early on and did such an intense research on the rich heritage of mysore right and and of course that segued into your book on gohar jan want to actually touch upon a, a now that we're almost inching towards the end on voice of the veena which is your again your biography of s balachandar and you've also written a lot of articles on cms subalakshmi and the archive of indian music has a lot of these great recordings that are publicly accessible as well again where where did this interest with s balachandar start because he also is is not 
you know one of those absolutely talented yes but also not the most graceful figures right like he he's considered eccentric true and so yeah i i think i owe a lot of my uh, you know interests and uh, non existent talent in music to <laughs> to my parents and my maternal grandmother who you know uh, i was a single child and for a single child without siblings uh, the two best friends that they had they got for me was one was books the other was music and so they noticed quite early in life that okay this little boy is able to reproduce all the jingles etc on t- television the ms subhlakshmi uh, songs that used to play at home the quite a bit of fidelity and so my grandmother literally dragged me to music uh, class when i was 5 or 6 years old and it was uh, i went very reluctantly because it ate into my playing time but very soon the bug caught me and i uh, continued you know training in uh, carnatic music for a very long time a little bit of dalliance with hindustani music also somewhere in the middle though i thought carnatic was where my heart was and i had the fortune of training under several uh, you know gurus uh, initially in bangalore with vidwan db nagraj and there thereafter with uh, eminent gurus like shrimati bombay jayashree and also dr jayanti kumaresh and at some point in my life i really wanted to also take up music as a full time career and become a professional artist and for various reasons and i think it's music's gain that i didn't end up <laughs> becoming a, a professional musician but uh, the interest of music along with that of history i thought it was also important for someone to play the role of uh mu- being music's night watchman because there was uh, music in india again hardly had documentation there's hardly it's all an uh, anecdotal it's word of mouth lot of hearsay and so on and so forth so uh, these two biographies gohar jan uh, and s balachandar came uh, one with that motivation balachandar was further a little more personal because uh, one of my gurus jayanti kumaresh um, he was her guru and so in many of the music classes she would talk about him and she would show some of his papers and speeches and letters and here again was a man who had the daring to stand up to the musical establishment the carnatic music mafia circle so to say just as all arts whether it's bollywood or anything has a inner mafia which runs the whole uh, establishment there is there was is and probably will always be a set of power brokers uh, in any establishment who decide what is classical who decide things there's not always scruples which are followed on various accounts and here was a man who was willing to take on the cudgels much on his own uh, peril at his uh, peril for his own career and reputation and stand up and challenge the powers that be the repercussions were something he faced he of course died early but also he ended up becoming something of a pariah in the musical firmament where you know despite again someone who taught himself the veena he didn't even have a guru he started and he used to play on a plethora of other instruments which he taught himself all of it international chess player at, before he even reached the age of 9 or 10 and someone who taught himself the whole art of film making and made some classic films in tamil you know in the 1940s and 50s when usually it was mythological films that were being made here so someone who was making agatha christie kind of you know detective novels and thrillers someone with so many shades to his character was again completely sidelined and thrown uh, under the bus and so that's what again motivated me to kind of resurrect his story one was also it was an offering to my guru uh, jayanti ji but also it was that his story was very fascinating it and it needed to be told and that's how that came up 
and between that and gaurjan and gaurjan changed my life uh, completely because and it was thanks to her that you know i managed to give up that day job and actually take up to writing full time because it gave me new opportunities it enabled me to complete my phd in history from the university of queensland in australia and also to set up this private trust called the archive of indian music now mm-hmm. while researching about her i also wanted to hear her music and i realized that there were no uh, 78 rpms there no machines that played that and uh, i started searching for those in all these flea markets and shanties and so on which is where uh, you know the valuable cultural inheritance of india lies rotting and during a fellowship to berlin i went there and then i noticed that almost all over europe in vienna in paris in berlin in london there was a national sound archive in each place and many of them had valuable holdings of indian recordings not only of music but also of voices of indians and most of them asked uh, doesn't india have a national sound archive and do not have one and all our uh, you know uh, records lie unattended in these places and so on coming back i even tried you know with the previous government in this was 2010 uh, 11 and so Uh, to to try and impress upon them the need for setting up something like this and that i dedicate myself to uh, doing this for them but it never went anywhere and that's when uh, mr tv mohandas pai who was then with infosys uh, he um, you know told me that why do you want to run behind governments and all of this uh, you set it up as a private uh, you know public uh, public charitable trust uh, in private and Uh, i will give you the seed capital and so he uh, you know very generously donated money we imported all the machines needed to digitize these records and between mm-hmm. 2011 and now we've collected i know it's a minuscule amount considering the amount that is lost about uh, 15000 records from across india uh, and these range from classical carnatic and hindustani music folk music theater recordings you know political speeches early cinema recordings all of these and very and digitizing all of these all the time uh, i have a technician who does that uh, slowly steadily mm. 5 10 records a day and we keep uploading it on soundcloud also on soundcloud if people go and type archive of indian music you would already have about 3000 plus something tracks and about 5 lakh followers who are following us there and who keep listening to it completely non commercial everyone can listen free of cost i don't know i gain nothing out of this but it's just that the music of this country the the night watchman that i said i, sh- I should become uh, to preserve this heritage because this is the inheritance of every young man and woman of this country it rightly belongs to them and so uh, 50 years from now we may be a uh, you know an economic superpower we may be a military superpower but culturally if we lose our inheritance i think we would be a very very poorer nation uh, if we don't have that sense of culture uh, nationality identity and so on especially considering the rich heritage we uh, have been bequeathed upon so uh, to that Uh, effect this archive came up it was a very very rookie attempt it's still by mm. the grace of god continuing and i don't know how long it will continue because money is a finite uh, quantity and so that's one reason why that's one reason why uh, it somehow managed uh, to go on so far and i need to see how long it goes and how to keep the show going uh, with the archive but i'm i'm glad even if we manage to resurrect some of these records brought some of this mm. i hope at least this government looks at this favorably or somebody some corporate house someone takes it up uh, because i seriously do not have the time and bandwidth anymore to devote to this uh, but i wanted to assume larger role 
and become mm. that hallowed national sound archive of india where not only gramophone mm. records but all india radio has huge uh, collection someone who can sit and put all of this together in one place i mean the modi government talks a lot about digital india and so on so digital india should also be used to preserve our culture and heritage and digitize all of this uh, and make it available forever for posterity and i think that uh, someone can take it up or the government picks it up i think it will be nothing like it and i'll just be happy that i led the first match that's uh, that's a beautiful uh, uh, you know thought and uh, and also very commendable vikram to be doing this i hope uh, that and and as i really hope it's sponsor and someone somewhere where out there right who picks this up and and takes it up uh, i think it's just a matter of time and i hope you know you find uh, somebody to carry on the legacy as you said right because it's it's, it's not your or mine it's, it's an entire country thank you so much vikram you know for doing this episode and when i i think we began i had no inkling of uh, you know this would pan out but it's been an extremely enjoyable conversation I hope I've lived up to your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I truly truly had a great time. I learned a lot and I also laughed a lot. I uh, all of these anecdotes and and of course having read your books, I it's just uh, amazing to see the breadth of the work um, that you're doing and I I wish you all the best. Thank you Ayushi. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking to you. It was completely a different flavor of an interview and thank god i didn't get uh, asked you know but savarkar signed mercy petitions what do you have to say about that because that would have really ticked me off and i would have wound up the <laughs> interview midway <laughs> okay so now, now i know what not to say when i uh, request you to do another podcast with me when you release the second book to everyone really listening to this podcast please go check out vikram's books they're available on amazon flip Start um, everywhere online at independent bookstores. Um, Vikram's also signed a three book deal, so we are going to read a lot more from him. So just keep space in your bookshelves or your Kindle or wherever it is that you read. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ayushi. Thank you so very much. Do not forget to tune into us on Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Gana and HT Smartcast. <laughs>